Welcome, everyone. I'm Sandra Bargeman. A few years ago, I wrote and performed a solo show called The Edge of Every Day, which was an exploration of the rough edges and contradictions we all face and grapple with. The show hit a nerve, and the relevance of the topic would only grow over time more than I could have foreseen. So, here we are. Real talk with real people, sharing stories and perspectives that spark provocative invitations to leap out of what's safe. On the edge of every day. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. We are live in the hive. Thank you for joining me on this, the 19th episode of The Edge of Every Day here on talkradio.nyc. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, and for those of you who don't know me yet, I encourage you to check out my bio on talkradio.nyc, or of course, you can visit my website, sandrabargeman.com, or tune in to any of my previous episodes. In a nutshell, this show is about celebrating triumphs, pushing boundaries, and exploring rough edges. Through conversations and shared stories with friends and colleagues, it's my hope that we can begin to understand our edges. And what I mean by edges is those places where we are fearful, those places where we are resistant to change, those places where paradoxes and contradictions live in our beliefs and our understandings, both about ourselves and the world around us, those places we don't want to look. Listen, we live in turbulent times, and we are coming to understand that life isn't black or white. It must be an embrace of both. And the more we recognize our own edges and get real about them, the more we can help others to do the same. And that, I fully believe, can help to change the world. So thanks again for tuning in. And without further ado, it's time to introduce our guest this evening. Dr. Sharon Leader is Professor Emerita of English, Women's Studies, and Jewish Studies at SUNY Nassau Community College. She is the author of the novel, The Fix, A Father's Secrets, A Daughter's Search, which won the silver winner Benjamin Franklin IBPA Award Best New Voice in Fiction in 2018. She is co-editor with Milton Teshman of Truth and Lamentation, Stories and Poems on the Holocaust, nominated for the National Jewish Book Award in 1994. In addition, she is a contributing editor, contributing editor and author in numerous journals of academic studies, as well as in Tikkun, Lilith, and Opal Writers Magazine. In her most recent book, Three Groundbreaking Jewish Feminists Pursuing Social Justice, Dr. Leader profiles the lives of historian Gerda Lerner, artist Susanna Wald, and global ambassador Ruth W. Messenger, secular Jews who came to see the purpose of Jewish life to be alleviating inequality and the suffering of all people. Judaism's social justice message captured Dr. Leader as a teenager and young adult growing up in the midst of the civil rights movement, the anti-Vietnam War movement, and the second wave women's movement. A reminder, this month is Women's History Month. The theme of Women's History Month this year is providing healing, promoting hope. And I've chosen four women for my four Monday night conversations on the edge of every day this month that do just that, provide healing and promote hope. Four women committed to the upliftment and advancement of other women. And I am thrilled to welcome Dr. Sharon Leader. Hello, Sharon. Hello, Sandra. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I am overjoyed, over overjoyed to have you here. I've been so looking forward to this. Um, for our listeners, I met Sharon through uh, the same um, networking group that last week's 
guest is a part of, Del Anderson. It's our Reset Networking Group. And Sharon had posted uh, within the group that she was creating a workshop that sounded fascinating to me. And I was really intrigued just simply from the title of your workshop, Sharon. It was called Awe, Freedom, and Responsibility, The Best I Can Be. And underneath it, she wrote, if I am not for myself, who will be for me? If I'm not for others, who am I? If not now, when? From Rabbi Hillel. And she also included, where do I stand as a Jew, as a person of faith, or one with a moral compass in this time of global ferment and change? How can I do my part without feeling powerless and overwhelmed? And you had me. So we had a conversation and we connected on this. Yeah, I appreciated so much your response to the workshop title. Mm. Uh, the workshop was built around messages that I hoped my new book about the groundbreaking Jewish feminist uh, would engage other people on a conversation that has to do with how do we not feel isolated and overwhelmed in, as you say, these turbulent times. And um, Rabbi Hillel was writing in the first century before the Common Era, as well as extending into the first century of the Common Era. Yeah. And he became an actual contemporary of Jesus, so that his message really resounds throughout the centuries. And we have to ground ourselves in these turbulent times. I was very concerned with how mythic and biblical the turbulent times are today. We have something analogous to what uh, we experienced during Moses' time of the 10 plagues. We have a health pandemic globally. We have mass migrations of millions of people seeking asylum in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. We have a climate crisis. We have so many layers of warning signs yeah. to alert yeah. us to the problems that we face. And at the same time, people can tend to respond with a feeling of despair, a feeling of isolation, Absolutely. a feeling that there's very little that I can do as an individual. And certainly in our culture, where individualism is so primary, where we oh, each have our cell phones and our computers. Yeah. We're and not, would, uh, yes, go ahead. And I, well, I would say that it's really exacerbated during with COVID. I mean, people feel as though the rug has been pulled out and that, you know, uh, when is this going to end? <laughs> now with another strain happening, I believe... You know, the isolation has really contributed to this sense of individualism that you just referenced. Yeah, not to mention the rise in suicides and the rise of those addicted uh, to opioids. Um, so there is a tendency for what Rabbi Michael Lerner calls an extinction sickness to uh, an, an extinction sickness. Yeah, there's a sense, the animals have it already, a sense that the end is coming. And so uh, I thought it was necessary to create a workshop that revived some of the senses that others have had in the past that allowed them to persist in times of trauma. And the things that we could remember are encapsulated in these words of awe, freedom, and responsibility. We need to remember the miracle of life itself. We have it. And we need to reconnect with others and the natural world in order to understand what our place is in the universe. We didn't create ourselves. We are part of a creative, transformative power in the universe. Yes. which if we have faith and we have hope, we can see as benign. It created us and it can sustain us. Yeah, truly, you know, honestly, you, you don't have to, 
you don't have to this this is a, also a very, this is not all a jewish understanding certainly this is not an only an interfaith understanding which is of course how i came and was attracted to it 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 it, it is as you said a secular understanding as well that we are part of something greater and even you don't have to even have awe for an all-encompassing over uh, overarching understanding of spirit like you and i may have to, to to plug into this wisdom and so that that is my my next question is it important to identify oneself as Jewish, according with with the work of this workshop, to engage in Tikkun Olam, the repair of the world. Yeah. Elaborate uh, on that, obviously. Yeah. Well, what you describe, the repair of the world, mm. uh, Tikkun Olam, is one of the values that I have taken from the Jewish tradition mm. that I call universal values. One doesn't have to be Jewish. In fact, these universal values beautifully are within all faith traditions. Indeed, they and are. they are in all ethical systems, which is why they're so tried and true, because they're universal. And my goal in the workshop and in the book is to say, let's give prominence to these universal values. One, I'm going to interrupt uh, you there, yeah. because you're bringing in the book, and this is great. We're going to get to the book uh, in a little bit of time, but absolutely reference it. This is um, Sable Harris Gresh is checking in and says, good evening. Hello, Sable Harris Gresh. And Adele Anderson says, hello. Um, I love it. Hello. Thanks for listening. Um, and I also, um, I'm going to stop and not ask that next question because I've received um, it's time for a break. So we're going to hold that thought. When we come back from our break, we're going to be back with Dr. Sharon Leader. We're going to talk about, we're going to save information on her book till we get to it a little later. We're going to come back and speak with her about a different book, one that I want to touch on that deals with her early life and I believe really sets a great tone for the work that she has done her entire career. So when we come back with Dr. Sharon Leader on the Edge of Every Day, stay tuned. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.
of every day. And we are back with Dr. Sharon Leader. So before we dive into your book, I did want to mention, um, and we didn't get to it in our last session, um, that you um, were a teacher for uh, the first half of your career before you had always wanted to be a writer and you became... In addition, you also became a teacher, and you were in the fledgling study of field of study, women's studies, which I loved. That you—that's what those were your words. The fledgling field of study. I love the alliteration of that too, and that you ushered in. You were one of the early teachers who ushered in this this whole field of study, and that leads beautifully into your book, your first book. So you had been, and you can weave this into your storytelling after I ask the question, you had had been a teacher and had written academic writing. And, and then you made the decision to move into creative writing with your first novel, The Fix, Father Secrets, A Daughter's Search. But this first started out as a memoir, telling your childhood story of being the oldest of three siblings with a father who had a secret. Tell us that story, and you can weave in your teaching as you see fit. Yeah, thank you so much for bringing in this um, past history, shall I call it. I love that. Uh, it was my attempt to understand something that I felt was holding me back during my teaching career. Oh. Uh, on the back burner, there were certain doubts I had about myself, uh, certain uh, insecurities that resulted from living in a childhood with a great deal of trauma. Yeah. My yeah. father was suffering from an over 30 year uh, sickness, which we know of as addiction. Uh, but he was not fortunate enough to live in enlightened times like today, which calls addiction to heroin uh, substance use disorder. We didn't have brain science at that time. Yeah. So uh, in my community, which was a secular Jewish community, not observant, but secular, we still uh, had certain folk sayings. One was, shikar is to goy. That is, Jewish people are not addicts. Jewish people are not alcoholics. They have no problems like that. Those are the problems of other people. Right. And so the secret that had to be kept and that I kept being a dutiful daughter was that my father suffered from this illness, which was heroin addiction. Right. And at the time when he got hooked, which was the late 1930s, right before the outbreak of World War II, his uh, illness was really viewed as a moral failing, as a lack of will, a weak willpower. And eventually, mm -hmm. in the 50s and 60s, it was criminalized. Yes. And we know that people who, as my father, if they had marks on their arms, they'd be arrested and oftentimes imprisoned. So, so if yes, I may interrupt, so you, your, your mother, when did she find out about this and when did she tell you? When did she share this with you? Well, she inadvertently shared it with me when I was eight years old because she answered a telephone call, which was from uh, the wife of a partner of my father's who was also an addict. And they had both been apprehended. Uh, and your mother and, did not know uh, up until then. She did not know about my father's addiction after the war. She thought he had given up what was called uh, stuff uh, before the war. Okay. And it was a condition of their getting married that he had become clean. And she oh. thought that was the case. Uh, and so he kept his own secret, too, from the family. 
And I overheard this conversation. She knew I overheard it. And uh, from then on, I became her confidant. And my father became, when he needed his fix, like a monster to me, someone who was really uh, uh, un unrecognizable in terms of his need. He wasn't the person I knew as my dad. Yes. And at times like this, my mother would be frightened, my siblings would be frightened, I would be frightened. And in order to uh, adjust to this situation, I thought of myself as having two fathers. Uh -huh. and, uh, a kind and gentle man who I knew, mm. and then a kind of monster. Yes. Uh, but so, I would, yes. Uh, let me interrupt because I'm hearing feedback, and I just put my uh, my headset in. I hope that's helping a little bit. Um, so fast forward, um, you have decided to you've carried this trauma, and you've realized that it's time to. To address it so you move into writing a memoir how did this memoir turn into a novel I realized uh, after I had left full-time teaching paid work mm -hmm. and wanted to devote myself to writing that the memoir was serving a certain type of therapeutic function to trace my life steps and understand what was holding me back on an emotional level. Yes. But all around me, an opioid crisis was flooding the news. And I felt that I needed to finish this work soon because I felt my story could be helpful to other people. Uh, I was living in an area that was seen as uh, a center of opioid addiction. And where was this? This was in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, which might be known as a lovely place but when it's not during the tourist season, it's like a wasteland for young people because there are hardly any uh, areas of public transportation. There are just few schools that are centralized mm -hmm. and many towns separated from one another. And mm -hmm. there are fewer people, like two thirds fewer people on the Cape during yeah. non-tourist season. So young people uh, who have anxiety and yeah. uh, we have we have that problem here in the Catskill yeah. Mountains as well. Yeah. So at any rate, I felt I needed to finish this book, uh, not for myself, but for other people. And I was a teacher of literature. I felt that I could make it more easily into a novel if I developed a protagonist based on myself. Mm -hmm. And I could follow the principles of creative writing. I could have the uh, uh, build up to a climax and I could uh, have a denouement and consequences. I knew how to structure a novel. And so that's what I did. And I decided I could get to the essence of the truth without sticking to the facts of the truth. And so, yes, I was able to do it that way. But the point that I'd like to get at in, in, in elaborating on my past is that both my father and my mother catapulted me into being a social activist. I became a person who felt I could repair the world, first of all, because I felt as a young, as most young people do when their families have problems, they think it's their fault. We internalize the emotional problems. And so therefore I felt compelled to do something about it. I wanted to do something about the anxieties that my father felt living in a competitive world where he had to make it big. He was a kosher butcher, believe it or not. Yes. And he was a kosher butcher at a time when supermarkets were taking over the kosher meat business. And he felt highly stressed. Yeah. Okay. May I interrupt for a brief moment? Do you have a headset that you can put on, Sharon? Because we're still getting the... Okay. We're still getting a, a bit of the um, the feedback. Maybe if you sit back a little tiny bit from your, yeah, that may be helpful. I think that's going to help. Oh, there it is again. Hmm, I believe yes. The, well, we're going to forge ahead and, tr and forge ahead with this. Okay. At any rate, I wanted to uh, work towards a kinder, gentler workplace with people. 
so that they weren't so stressed, at least men at that time. Most men were the breadwinners of families in the 40s when women were pushed back into the domestic sphere. I wanted to be able to uh, create less stress yeah. in the world, a bit of marketplace, a kinder marketplace. I get, I understand. I, I'm also interested in the theme of the secrets, the theme of the spiritual theme of secrets. And because this is also a, a theme in the book that we're, the, your present book, and the, the, where the three women that you profile so beautifully, I wouldn't say keep the secret, but don't reveal their Jewishness. And the, the theme of your mother and your family not wanting to share this, and, and the time finally coming where you felt empowered and found your voice in service to the world by sharing your voice. I think By sharing your secret. Yes. That's a very interesting uh, parallelism that you're bringing, Sandra. Mm -hmm. uh, I never actually thought of it this way, but I think it's very important. That at, well, the time, and it, I, at the time, you see, in people don't often think about this when they think about the time of World War II and the Nazi period. Mm -hmm. uh, but there was in the United States a great deal of seeping anti-Semitism. Yes. which my parents were uh, aware of. And uh, being Jewish, of course, was uh, uh, part of the um, uh, immigrant situation to the U.S. My parents lived in uh, self-selecting Jewish neighborhoods, but nevertheless, uh, they were aware that Father Coughlin on the radio was blaming the Jews for the war in Europe. And so being Jewish has always, to one degree or another, as a minority living in a majority culture, it's been a liability, or it can be a liability, yeah. until you know, some people assimilated. But as I became active in the women's movement, mainly to try to save women like my mother from abuse mm -hmm. and um, second-class status as uh, citizens, uh, I became aware that many of those second wave feminists were in fact Jewish, but they were not putting in the foreground their Jewishness, mainly because, I mean, when you think of Gloria Steinem, who created Ms. Magazine, yes, when you indeed. think of Bella Abzug, who's such a leader in New York politics, mm. when you think of Judy Chicago, the great artist, when you think of Susan Weidman Schneider, who started Lilith Magazine, all of the names that I rattle off, and there are many more, they were all secular Jews, but they were not putting out there in the public sphere their Jewishness, because just like two of the Holocaust survivors in my book, my recent book. This is a great place we're gonna hold because we have to go to break. This is a perfect place to take a break. Keep that thought. The three women, we're going to talk about the three groundbreaking Jewish feminists that Dr. Sharon Leader has profiled in her fantastic book, When We Come Back, On the Edge of Every Day. Stay tuned. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7 Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? 
Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Of every day. And we are back with Sharon Leader. And we're going to pick it up where we left off. These powerful, well-known, culturally instrumental women that, that were making great strides, great changes in our social structure and fabric that were not stepping forward with or coming out with their Jewishness. And so we move into this book, this incredible book. I'm I'm not quite finished with it, Sharon. I'm three quarters of the way through it. It's fantastic. Um, you have profiled three women. Gerda, Gerda Lerner. Uh, she's the co-creator of Women's History and Black Women's History. And she wrote Creation of Patriarchy, which I just bought, Sharon. It just arrived from Amazon. Um, Susanna Wald, Surrealist artist, although she's also written. She's done so many things. Um, and Ruth Messenger, NYC native and currently the global ambassador for American Jewish service, world service. So why these three women? Why did you, how did you, did you know any of them? I think you knew Messenger. Why did you choose these three women? What was the spark to, st- well, you did speak a bit about the spark, but what made you want to write a book about it? I needed to write the book because uh, these women uh, became known in their field and responded to crises around the world uh, in ways that I could relate to. Mm. And yet, they were responding out of these universal values that came from their Jewish upbringing. But for various reasons that were political and psychological at different moments in time, they didn't feel safe or appropriate to be putting their Jewishness in the public sphere. And so um, the the, uh, three women had different points of emergence into the public world as Jews. And I related to that because it was my Jewishness uh, that came from my activism. Uh, You know, as a young girl, I was second seat to my brother who got his Hebrew education. It wasn't important for women in my family to get that education, so I felt left out. Likewise, these women had difficulties with the patriarchal aspects of Judaism. They wanted women to be in the forefront as well. And when Jewish women experienced the second wave women's movement, they started reshaping Judaism. And they started looking into the important uh, roles of women. They looked into the goddess tradition on which uh, the original Judaism and Hebrew nation uh, succeeded. And they explored uh, many of the figures and uh, elevated women to positions of prominence so that the women rabbis that we know today come from the second wave women's movement when Jewish women bonded together and said, "Let's, let's do the same thing. Let's reshape our lives according to um, the contributions that we really did make. And so uh, Gerda Lerner Mm -hmm. was raised in an Orthodox tradition in Vienna, but when she was able as a refugee 
to emigrate to the United States. Uh, she felt that there was a need for her to hide her Jewishness as uh, an emigre from uh, Austria with a German passport. Uh, she was seen as an enemy alien just because she was German. Even though she was Jewish and a Jewish refugee, she did not feel safe being publicly Jewish after experiencing the Holocaust. I'm sure. Uh, Susanna Wald as well did not feel safe. In fact, she took on many different covers over her Jewishness. First, she became Catholic. Then she became a surrealist, which some people think is just an art form, but it's not. It's really a way of life and a philosophy. And, and what is that? that? What is that, that philosophy? The philosophy is um, to understand that the world of the intellect and the world Reason. of our rational, the rational world. Indeed, the patriarchal reasons. world. Yes. That was the world that created World War II and World War I. So isn't there something we're missing if we don't give freedom to the imagination and the subconscious? The subconscious. How can we liberate, how do, how can we liberate ourselves to be full human beings? And some of Susanna Wall's writings on surrealism remind us of the words of rabbis that say we need to recite blessings for all those wonderful things around us, like the sunshine, <laughs> like, uh, like our, our sense of taste, like our sense of wonder and amazement. Mm. And so often we see strange things put together in surrealist paintings that yes. don't seem yeah. to belong as you saw in some of Susanna's paintings, I an egg indeed. sitting in air on top of the table that catches our attention. But yes. essentially what surrealists are trying to do is to say, shake it up, look at the yeah. real world and see how fantastic it really is. Totally Don't give awkward. into convention. And, and so our third. Our third Ruth Messenger. Ruth Messenger was a politician. She was the only Jewish person and a uh, woman to run for mayor of New York City against Rudy Giuliani in his second term. And she could not, living in the separation of church and state, be public as a Jewish person. But when she became the head at the helm of American Jewish World Service, she felt so thrilled that she could put her public face forward as a Jew. And her uh, motive in uh, being Jewish and a humanitarian was to promote the universal values of Judaism. She was a follower of the great rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who uh, was a teacher. What, wasn't uh, her mother, didn't her mother work for him? She did, at the Jewish Theological Seminary. And the mother took home uh, work, edits that she needed to make, and she asked for Ruth to help her, you know, uh, work with these items. And Ruth learned all about Heschel's philosophy, which is bringing social justice Judaism to the world. And one of his hallmark quotes is, in a free society where terrible things happen, uh, some of us are guilty but all of us are responsible. And this is an adage that Ruth took greatly to heart and believed that whenever there is a problem around the world, American Jewish World Service wants to go where the need is the greatest. And so one of her first assignments was helping victims of climate crises. She visited El Salvador. She, uh, also wanted to say never again, not only to the Holocaust, but other genocides. She created the Save the Darfur campaign when uh, in the Darfur region of Sudan, uh, tribes were being discriminated against and genocides were being created. She was a universalistic Jew. And in fact, I was so motivated 
because I did, as a native New Yorker myself, I was aware of her political work, but I wanted to follow her as the head of American Jewish World Service. And I know that she helped me understand some crucial uh, concepts in Judaism that have separated Jews from other peoples in the world. One is the concept of the chosen people, which often is interpreted as a superiority. But she had such a wonderful take on this concept, which was that our, our um, being chosen, what that means is that we are chosen to identify with other people who are targets of discrimination and that we are obligated, according to Rabbi Heschel, we are all responsible. We are obligated to come forward to support others who are targets of discrimination, even if that makes us as Jews vulnerable ourselves. And so I think that um, I was motivated to, to write about these women because they made a difference in their fields. Now, Gerda Lerner is responsible for creating Women's History Month. We're celebrating that Which now. Which we're in right now. Yes. As, as we discussed. She created the field of women's history with, of course, the support of others. But she was the main mover and shaker. And the work that I became most familiar with when I was first teaching was Black women in white America. And she really proved to the field of history that there was a Black women's history. Now, you used that book in your teaching, correct? I did, yeah. I, I used that book when I was teaching many Black and Latinx uh, uh, adults who were workers in the field of health, and they needed to get bachelor's degrees in order to continue uh, in their fields. And that book, Black Women in White America, empowered them. It made them feel like they were being recognized in their history. And their history goes back, way back, uh, even into slavery times, when you have hidden works that couldn't be brought out into the open. Uh, so we get into secrets again. <laughs> Some of this literature was secreted, and Gerda Lerner did the uh, research to bring them forward. And, and put them out in the public sphere. Yes. So I was motivated by all these women, and I felt their stories needed to be told. And we need to go to break, so I'm going to close this section out with, again, with this notion of the empowerment of, you know, it's understandable, the secret keeping. Of course, for all of the potent reasons but the, the spiritual understanding of unburdening these secrets and that in, in Jungian terms, I think of it, of the shadow, the places, the secrets that we keep in the shadows that we don't want, we don't want people to know, but, the, but Jung's understanding that it's the most potent place. Those things that we don't want to share that we're afraid to reveal are the source of our greatest strength. You're, you're so right. And on that note, you know I like to be right, Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, we are going to take a break. And when we come back with Sharon, she we're going to dive into some other creative writing that she has done, poetry, and talk quickly about her... Um, potentially your, her dissertation and how that weaves in with poetry and find out what she's doing next on the edge of every day with Sharon Leader when we come back. Stay tuned. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? 
Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Calling all pet lovers. Pet Avengers, assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Chipping around, kick my brain to the ground. These are the days it never rained. But it falls on the edge of every day. And we are back with Dr. Sharon Leader and... So we're going to start this this section off, your edge being, Sharon, your edge being feminism, edges up with your Jewishness, with, which edges up with your lifelong desire to share your voice in the world. So your creative writing, do you feel that your creative writing has really empowered you more than your academic writing? And just just briefly. I do, because uh, in the academic world, one needs to publish or perish. And so my field was literary criticism, uh, women writers, and I pursued that. Uh, but the... Women's studies, which I was part of, required more of a deep dive into how were women overcoming their setbacks. And that needed to be accomplished with a, a mixture of biography as well as literary criticism. Mm -hmm. And so I needed to give the social historical conditions of the two women that I was writing about. Initially, I was writing about a 19th century woman poet who often is not known in the United States. Her name is Christina Rossetti. Right. Okay, hang, hang on, hang on. I, I, I mean in your own writing, not about the writing of the, the two poets, your dissertation. We'll get to the dissertation, but I mean in your own writing. In my own writing, yeah. uh, there were uh, anxieties and contradictions and uh, unresolved angers that I needed to really work through and i found that the best way to do that actually was through poetry at first ah, fiction, fiction writing came later but poetry was uh the uh, spontaneous overflow of powerful feeling ah, and, excellent uh, that's perfect let's dive in let's dive into your poem okay that's a perfect so, intro okay um this is in the context of uh, being a child and witnessing one of the calamities uh, when a dad uh, is high uh, on his substance and he's at home and uh, mom is not around and uh, dad gets into a real big problem of being too dizzy to really take care of himself or his kids. So I am alone uh, in our apartment with my younger brother, and I witnessed something that I shouldn't really have to see, and that is my dad having a terrible accident um, in the apartment. And he uh, unfortunately loses the tip of his finger as I watch. And this poem is called A Simple Afternoon. And I attempt to put in poetry form um, what I'm going through. 
Mama told me to protect you. She left us with Daddy in the faultless front room. There was the friendly chair, the dining table, and the swinging door. The sun through the window, the TV on, your toy train running round and round its track. I had the sister's older eyes, the sassy mouth, the knotted fist with schoolyard bullies, the wiser foot on shortcuts home. But such a storm took daddy's drugged brain, such a whirlwind of arms, toppled table, chair, and train. I was thrown and the door blown, not meant for kids to see the unhinged door, daddy's finger sliced and sore while TV droned. Before our four forbidden eyes, the rush of blood. Has your um, your creative writing the, the, of your poetry and your novel, uh, where you could tell your story through the eyes of um, fiction? Do you feel that that's connected, helped you through the years connect to forgiveness and compassion to your parents and the, and the trauma that you went through as a young person that affected you for so long? Well, yes, I'm glad you brought up that point because the whole point is to be able to have compassion and love which can come when you understand the conditions that other people are living through. As That's a universalism. Yes, yes. I mean, as a child, I was overwhelmed with anger at my dad. Yeah. Anger yeah. for not being there, for not loving us enough. And your I mean, mom. I didn't know. <laughs> yes. You know, uh, and Not unfortunately, unfortunately, here's a bit of truth telling, Sandra. You know, when my dad was suffering from his addiction and he many times was not home and there with the family, my mom was there and she was closest to us. And as young, ununderstanding kids, we took it out on mom. She was there. Of course. Our anger spilled out on her and she didn't deserve it yeah. but that's part of the the psychology i think of kids at any rate if i only wrote a memoir i would be stuck on anger yeah. but fiction requires a distance fiction requires you to see the good and the bad Indeed, you know in real does. life i'm a victim but i needed to develop the distance to be able to overcome that victimhood and say my life can be different. Yes. And I wish, you know, I wish my dad was living at a time where his life could have been different. Amen to that. Oof. Well, that's beautiful. So before we, before we close out, um, the, an hour is never enough time, Sharon. As we talked about many, many times while we were preparing for this, I want hours and hours with you. I want to make sure that I get in before I ask one and give you the final, final say. I want to make sure that I get in uh, your website, Sharon Leader, L-E-D-E-R.com. And on there is there information where people can purchase your book, which I have sitting right here. And I'm going to put it up. Can people order that on your website? Where can people get that other than their online, other than their local bookstore? Can they get it on Amazon as well? Or, you know, for the Amazon. people who shouldn't be going to Amazon, but they still do. Yeah, and Barnes and & Noble as well. Barnes & Noble. Excellent, excellent. Um, so 
Well, you, my last question for you is what's next? I know that you have a sequel coming up. Yes. Yeah. I have just to let you know, you just have a, 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 a minute to tell us about this before we sign on out. So dive in. Yeah. I want to do, uh, due diligence and justice to my mom, uh, my life with my mom after my father's, uh, death from an overdose at age 42. Uh, we had a lot of time with my mom and uh, my rocky road with my mom got to a really good place. Uh, she was a wonderful, loving and funny person. And uh, I made amends with her uh, and I follow my own ability to have her feel good about the women's movement too. She trained me in her way to be a good wife. (laughs) I never became a mother, but she would have liked that. But she saw value in the women's movement by our sharing afterwards. And so my sequel is called Repairing the Catses. The Cats is the fictional name I gave my family. So we'll have a novel, hopefully, Repairing the Catses, uh, my attempt to make amends with my mom. And uh, hopefully the research I've done in the goddess tradition will help me there. I can't wait to speak with you about all of that, the goddess tradition. So when, uh, when do you suspect this will be out? Well, you know, I would say, you know, a year, a year worth of writing. Got it. Excellent. So those of you who are tuning in, you can expect the uh, the sequel to the fix, Repairing the Cats, in about, a, about maybe a year, year and a half. Sharon, I want to thank you from the bottom of my, of my heart for being on the show today. Thank you. From the moment that I spoke with you, I was really moved by your tender heart and your wisdom and your kindness and compassion and you set the tone for everything that you want your readers to understand about universalism, about making a difference in these challenging times. So thank you for sharing you yourself, your wisdom, your beauty, and your creativity today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sandra. Uh, and I want to- You bring it out. You bring oh, it out. Oh, yay! <laughs> That's my hope and my prayer. And I want to thank all of you who are listening in. Go to SharonLeader.com again. And you can go to SandraBargeman.com to order The Edge of Every Day. Remember this. You are always at the edge of the miraculous. So until next week, take good care. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is our last business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. on edge hey we live in challenging edgy times so let's lean in i'm sandra bargeman the host of the edge of every day which airs each monday at 7 p.m eastern time on talkradio.nyc tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges that's the edge of every day on mondays at 7 p.m eastern time on talkradio.nyc 
uninformed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 